Advent candles. First candle we light is for the theme of God's mission, joining God in God's mission, or call to be sent. The next candle, last Sunday we had worship fully, or my sermon title is By Another Road, and now this Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent, where we want to focus on spending less. Our culture says to spend more, to spend more, to spend and sin, but the Advent conspiracy is to spend less. I'll invite Jeff to come forward. Bob shared every week of our Advent, Advent Conspiracy series so far, we've had a different theme. We've been able to press in and honor a different ministry or a way in which we can make Christmas meaningful to the world around us. The idea that a DVD with two coffee mugs is more meaningful than the latest and greatest gift because we're promising to spend Christmas with somebody. Through the What Would Jesus Buy movie night, we looked at an out-of-control spending trend and uncontrollable waste that is happening because of our excessive Christmas consumption. Exploring the, Christmas, the question, what would Jesus buy, makes us actually look at what celebrations would Jesus want at this time of the year. So we've come to our new theme this week, Spend Less. Reflect with me. What was one gift you remember forgetting for Christmas last year? What about the second gift that someone gave you? The third or the fourth? Do you remember that one? Truth is, many of us don't remember because it wasn't something that we necessarily needed or wanted. Spending less isn't a call to stop giving gifts altogether. It's a call to stop spending money on gifts that mean nothing and won't remember, be remembered in a year. America spends $601 billion during the Christmas season, and a bunch of that is joyless and goes right onto your credit card. By spending wisely on gifts, we can free ourselves from the anxiety associated with debt, and we can make the season appear with a full heart to those around us. We stress worrying, what will we get to make our kids happy this year? What is the perfect gift for that person? In Africa, there are 355 million without clean water access. They don't have the privilege of asking what would make a perfect Christmas. What gift do they want? 3.4 million people die each year from a water-related disease. That is entirely the size of Los Angeles. Every year, the size of Los Angeles drops off our planet in population because of lack of clean water. Overall, 780 million people lack access to clean water. That's more than two and a half times of the United States population. Do you know that, ironically, more people have access to a cell phone than to a running or working toilet? Lack of access to clean water and sanitation kills children at a rate equivalent to a jumbo jet crashing every four hours. 
Can you imagine a jumbo jet crashing every four hours? No, it hurts our minds to think about, but in Africa and in third world countries in which clean water has no access to the people, this is what is happening. That many children die unnoticed by us in our Western comfort as we worry about what will we get for Christmas. We hope that this year we can make Christmas mean something, that Christmas can still change the world. This Sunday at East Petersburg Mennonite Church, we are taking a special offering to support the Mennonite Central Committee's East Coast work to provide clean water to struggling countries. We've been asking you to spend less this Christmas on materialistic things and give of yourself more. That money that we have not spent on Christmas, we ask that you use it to actually make Christmas matter for somebody that will remember it in a year. Give your normal tithe, yes, but let's also give extra of ourselves to make Christmas change the world. I invite Aaron and uh, Garrett forward. They are going to uh, bring the baskets forward, and they are going to pass the baskets. If you have not given your extra donation to the Mennonite Central Committee's water project, I ask that you do so now. We will watch a video as they pass out the baskets. But there's one thing that I want to tell you. In Kenya, in some places in Ethiopia, they're experiencing drought like they've never experienced before. The ground cracking like lightning bolts across and houses collapsing because of it. For $10, enough cement can be bought to build part of a dam to keep the water backed up so that it can be fertilized. So, I mean, so it can be uh, sanitized and used. $10 can do that. $50 can provide irrigation for a farmer. $350 can provide pipes and plumbing so that access to clean water can be had. That is our focus this week in the Advent Conspiracy. And as you pick up your new uh, this week's devotion on the way out, you'll see that many authors have been part of this one, such as Mary Nolt and uh, Abigail and Janella and my own wife. And one of the themes that you'll see throughout the time is how do we spend less but give Christmas and give salvation to somebody that needs it. This sacred season of Advent is such an important season for all of us that follow Jesus because it's the time that we wait. We, uh, we anticipate. It's not about getting what we want. It's about um, longing and patiently waiting the arrival of a Savior. Everyone thought he would be a king that would come in uh, grand form, and yet he was born uh, among the lowly. He was born uh, in a barn on a dirt floor and laid in a manger. And it would be sad, uh, truly, if we made Christmas about our, our expensive gifts and our lavish celebrations, and we forgot the lowly among whom Jesus was born this year. Africa is experiencing a drought of unparalleled devastation. It's a time for many uh, that they wait uh, for rain, uh, that normally they can gather uh, for drinking water that sustains uh, their crops and their cattle. And this year for many, there, there hasn't been any rain and there isn't any water. As we await the birth of a Savior, I invite you into the stories of the thirsty, of many that Jesus loves, 
and that he's provided an opportunity for us this year to allow them to experience his love and grace in a really tangible way, in an abundance of clean water. So as you see these stories, as you encounter these friends, as you look upon the challenging circumstances of our brothers and sisters here, I invite you not to mourn, but to celebrate the fact that we have an opportunity to be a part of bringing peace on earth once again. God bless you. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to participate in Advent Conspiracy. Help us now as we reflect on this topic this day, on spending less, as we look into your word, in particular the letter from Paul to the Philippians. We pray, God, that you would teach us, that we'd be open to your teaching and to the promptings of your spirit. Thank you, Lord God. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It was early in World War II when Great Britain sent two battleships into the war, the Prince of Wales and also the Repulse, and they attempted to to repel the Japanese advance into Malaya. And although lacking for air cover, this force set out confidently on its first mission to the South China Sea. An American war correspondent reported, who was aboard the Repulse, noted with surprise how confident the British dismissed the danger of the air attacks. Statements like, those Japs can't fly, were common, commonly heard aboard the ships. The correspondent, though, told one naval officer, You British always underestimate the enemy. It seems to me that the best thing is to figure the enemy twice as good as you are and twice as smart, and then you make the preparations in advance. It wasn't very long until the Japanese planes attacked, and in a matter of hours, the proud British capital ships lay at the bottom of the sea. As we continue with our series on Advent Conspiracy, let us not underestimate, let us not underestimate the power of our culture to push us into its mold. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, Jeff cited the total spending at Christmas. Billions of dollars spent each Christmas, and that amounts to approximately $1,000 per person that persons spend on Christmas time. 
Christmas gifts. And we are vulnerable to be seduced by the attacks and the onslaughts of the advertisements and by the example and the peer pressure of friends and family to spend more and more and not less. We are just as vulnerable as the British were to the attacks from the Japanese warplanes. Our culture and our big box stores want us to spend more and more dollars and not less. An example of this was in our U.S. mailbox this week. We received an advertisement from a, a large store, and in this mailbox in the flyer informed us that if we spend $50 or more in this particular store between December 10 and to December 24, that we would receive a coupon worth $10 then to spend at the store, either online or in the store, uh, from December 25 to January 4, 2015. This same department store entices us to spend even more money at the store because they informed us that if we spend uh, under $100, we would save only 15%. But if we spend more than $100, $100 or more, that we would then save 20%. So the more you spend, you will be able to, to save more. So let us, sisters and brothers, let us not underestimate the enemy who entices us toward the idolatry toward the idolatry of money, toward the idolatry of things, rather than giving our total devotion to God. Bible scholar Waldemar Jansen, whom I had in a, in a biblical study course, says, idolatry is the main form of covenant breaking in the Old Testament, and therefore the greatest threat to Israel's central relationship to God, end of quote. Now, simply by dismissing the threat of idolatry and saying that we would never, ever, like the Israelites, bow down to wood and stone, that we would never be bothered with, with idols, we would never bow down to graven images, we are following then in the footsteps of the British who minimized the forces arrayed against them and if we do that, we also are minimizing the forces arrayed against us to be molded into the culture around us. With that as the background, I'd like to read uh, from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 19. In your pew Bibles, that's page 1164. It's also uh, going to be projected. Philippians 4, 10 to 19. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you, re, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him or through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, as we reflect on this, we realize that, or let me, let me continue. I have received full payment and more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. As we reflect on this, we see that Paul had a special relationship with the believers at Philippi, with the Philippian church. It was not just apostle and uh, church members. It was not just a possible, uh, apostle and the church that he planted. But there was a special relationship. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, For you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So Paul considered the sisters and brothers there at Philippi as partners as he was involved in planting the church and instructing the church then at Thessalonica. And he says in verse 30, We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. So they were his friends. It was not simply apostle and people. They were his friends, and that he, he felt that they were working together. They were his partners as he was involved in sharing the gospel, that they had a special relationship. Now, when the Philippians became aware that the apostle Paul had needs, when they, when they became aware, they decided to send one of the church members by the name of Epaphroditus that to send this person to Paul. And not only to send him, but also to take a gift that they were giving then to the apostle. In fact, in verse 16, he says that more than once they had offered to help him. More than once they have been helped or he has been helped by the church at Philippi. So Paul went to the city of Thessalonica after he had been at Philippi, and now he was experiencing the help that they were giving him even more than once. And he was blessed by the support and also by the gifts that he received by the church from the church at Philippi. Now Paul was able to earn his own living by being a tent maker. And as he tells the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says 
that he had a right to live by the gospel, he, to, to live as, to receive the fruit of his work. But, even, but he was also reluctant to accept money from the churches. And even now, as he writes to the Philippians, he tells them in 18, the first part of 18, he says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you've sent me with Epaphroditus. And then he makes a very bold statement that fits in with our theme this morning that I want to lift up in particular focus on that statement. When he says in verses 11 and 12, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it with a, with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Now, Fred Craddock, as he commented on this passage, says, Fred Craddock says, he's defined neither by wealth nor poverty, but by a contentment that transcends both and by a power in Christ which enables him to live in any circumstance. So Paul is not concerned about the goods that he has of this world. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. He is able to be content with what he has. And Paul is convinced that the same God who has met his needs, who has supplied his needs, that that same God will generously give to the needs of the sisters and brothers at Philippi, the believers at Philippi. Paul was not concerned about his retirement plan. He was not concerned about his 401k plan and how that was doing. Rather, he had a deep faith in God and he was aware that Jesus meant what he said when God, when, that Jesus said that God would look after the birds of the field, the birds of the air, and the lilies of the field. The Father in heaven cares for us in that same way. But in contrast, as I pointed out in my introduction, in contrast, our culture fosters discontent. Our culture wants us to spend more. The advertisements are designed so that we become dissatisfied with what we have, so that we want to go and spend more, that we desire to purchase something that will make us happy. And we think that we need because we, the advertisements are designed to make us feel dissatisfied with what we have that we need, for instance, a new car that proclaims class and status. There was a man whom Ann and I learned to know in Illinois. And he drove a Cadillac. And he would usually refer, when he wanted to refer to his car, he wouldn't say my car, but he usually always referred to it as the Cadillac. 
probably as a reminder to himself and to those who he's talking to that he drives a special car, a car with class, a car that made a statement. Our culture wants us to spend more money at Christmas. Our coupons, our advertisements are designed to get us to spend more money. And that if we spend more money, in the example that I give, if we spend more money, then we will save a greater percentage. But to get us to spend more, the culture tries, and many times successfully, to get us, to squeeze us into its mold. In contrast, the apostle says, I am content with whatever I have. I've learned, Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. While he's affirming the gift from the hands of the, the believers at Philippi, yet he tells the, and he tells the believers that they are fragrant offerings and a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 16, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. To give sacrificially. Notice he calls them sacrifices. And when John the Baptist came on the scene, Luke describes that the crowds asked John the Baptist and said, What should we do? And John replied that clothing and food must be shared with those who do not have clothing and food. And John says in Luke 3, 11, if you have two shirts or two cloaks, some translations say, two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. To give and to give sacrificially. So how do we live in contentment? How do we follow the Apostle Paul when he says, I've learned in whatever state, in whatever circumstance I am, I've learned to be content, whether it's in want or whether it's in plenty, whether it's with a full stomach or whether it's in need. How do we learn to live like the Apostle Paul? One, we live in contentment by having a deep faith and trust in God and an awareness, an awareness and a deep faith that God will take care of us. Dolores Friesen is a marriage and family therapist. She is licensed. She is also a former missionary and a pastor, and also had taught in a divinity school or college. And she shares a story that gives us a negative example, a negative example of how not to live. And she's aware of a professional man who spent his retirement agonizing over the ups and downs of the stock market anxiously calculating whether he had enough savings 
and investments and whether they would suffice. And his fascination with the economy and his fascination with the stock market became an obsession and he traded stocks almost daily. And he liked to read the business news and then at the same time check on how his accounts were doing. So as he did that, he became increasingly isolated from his wife, from his children, and also his own neighborhood where he lived, and ignored them as he made deals motivated by his fears and his desire to take advantage of others' mistakes. Soon, his physical and mental health deteriorated, and he died a very broken and disappointed man. Number two, we live lives of contentment and a countercultural life when we spend less, except when we should spend more. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me explain what I'm alluding to. In one of the congregations where I served as pastor, as interim pastor, each November, the, the tiny, and we had a very tiny fellowship hall, and each November that tiny fellowship hall was transformed into a store selling materials from 10,000 villages. And as their website indicates, there were unique handmade gifts and jewelry and home decor art and sculpture, textiles, and personal accessories, all of these representing the cultures of artisans in Asia, Africa, in Latin America, and the Middle East, end of quote. And the people in the community knew that this local Mennonite church was hosting and having this event each November would come to buy their Christmas gifts. And while they were buying their Christmas gifts, they were assisting others in another part of the world. And therefore, they, we need to spend less except when we should spend more. And that was an occasion where we should be spending more. Because 10,000 villages tries to improve the lives and the welfare of tens of thousands of artisans in 38 countries, we should spend more on these gifts. We need to spend more because, again, quoting from their website, the sales of these products help to pay for food, education, health care, and housing for artisans who would otherwise be unemployed or underemployed, end of quote. So we spend less, except when we should spend more to help others in the other part of the world. Thirdly, we live in contentment when we live with an undivided heart, an undivided mind, and soul. Dolores Friesen, whom I quoted from earlier, the counselor, includes riches as one of the idols of our culture. And then she goes and lists other idols of our culture, along with beauty, 
achievement, privacy, technology, power, adulation, sports, possessions, polarizing political ideologies, pornography, and militarization. These all captivate and enslave, end of quote. Lastly, we live lives of contentment by spending less and giving more. Now, I'm not going to push this one out because next Sunday, Pastor Jeff will be preaching on giving more. So I don't want to focus on that. But that's how we live in contentment, by spending less and giving more. C.S. Lewis suggests that we can break the power of money by giving more of it away. And in Mere Christianity, he stated, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And then he goes on and he says, in other words, if our expenditure on the comforts and the luxuries and amusements is up to the standard, of those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities, if our giving to charities does not at all pinch us or hamper us, he says, that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our charitable giving excludes them. There are three pastors that wrote a book simply entitled, they wrote a brief book entitled Advent Conspiracy. And they share about a family that agreed to not exchange presents and instead to give the money to charity or to causes of their own choosing. And then on Christmas Day, as they explained it, the time around the tree was spent as each person described why they chose that particular charity or for what that cause that they chose, why they chose that cause to give their money to that they would have spent to each other, with each other. The British greatly underestimated the force arrayed against them, the power of Japan at the beginning of World War II. Let us not, my sisters and brothers, underestimate the power of our culture to seduce our children and to seduce us into thinking that Christmas is all about us and what we will get for Christmas. Let us fight against our consumeristic culture by learning to be content with what we have. Amen. We'll share in a closing song. invite you to stand as we sing our theme song, Go Light Your World.
Great to have the college students back uh, with us as uh, they're on vacation and uh, look forward to this break between semesters. To the visitors, we're glad you're here and if you, we want you to come back as soon as you have another opportunity. Receive now this benediction. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 